the microphones or the camera. Excuse me. All right. Thank you. Well, can you straighten it? Because like it was tipping and I wanted to fall. Go, Titus. Go. It's your moment. Nope. 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 Just be tall. Oh, all right. Um, we are uh, going to take a quick minute to, to pray in preparation for the message this morning, uh, and um, and to give Titus a second to figure out what is going on with our uh, our slide problem or our video. Thank you, Titus Dane. You are awesome. Uh, let's pray. Uh, Heavenly Father, I pray that you would be with us this morning. Pray that you would uh, just. Just come into our presence today. Help us to hear from your spirit. Help us to hear from you. Uh, help us to uh, uh, know you more by hearing the word uh, preached today, by uh, celebrating the, the birth of your son, by, by just, being, just being your people in community. Um, I pray that Christ would fill us, um, that we would grow in his likeness, and uh, that we would be a light to the world. Amen. Titus. Please, I know, you're frustrated. Um, my father, when I was a kid, and I don't know the origin of the story. I should have asked him. Uh, but uh, he used to tell us um, at times when you were supposed to take your hat off, right? Like there are times you just theoretically should not have a hat on. And my father would tell us the story of a medieval king who, uh, when faced with a subject who would not remove his hat, uh, kindly invited him to remove his, you know, head, or kindly invited his guards to remove the man's head because, because when you step into a king's presence, you meet him on whose terms? The king's terms, right? So if the king is happy with your situation, that's it. If he's not happy with it, you are in trouble. Uh, and I, I've been reading a lot of ancient and medieval uh, history recently, and and you do find this, where guys who come into the presence of the emperor uh, in Rome or, or different kings, they're afraid constantly because if you say the wrong thing, it could result in uh, really, really, really horrible things happening to you. Um, and so, like, this is kind of where I want to start with this because I, a few years ago, was reading about uh, the queen. What was her name? Elizabeth, yes. Uh, she is one of the first British monarchs who uh, visited the United States, and she did uh, a tour of the states, I guess, and she visited a home in Georgia, and this, uh, this woman in Georgia met her and uh, was, you know, there, all the security and everything there, and this woman uh, hugged her, and English tabloids went nuts because you don't for any reason, touch the queen. And this woman hugged her because she was in the same room and she could. And you know what happened to that lady? Nothing. Um, when it comes to royalty, when it comes to power, when it comes to authority, uh, it's interesting, like, sort of the, the, the mix that happens there. When kings and queens could very much for no reason have you executed, like, they had, uh, you had to meet them on their terms, uh, today, you still sort of have to meet them on their terms, but you sort of, you know, in their presence can get away with a little more without actually, you know, dying and stuff. Everybody with me? Um, because we're going to be diving into the story of the coming of Jesus. 
the Annunciation and some other stuff. And we're going to talk a little bit of history. Uh, and we're going to talk about how God deals with us. Because God comes to us on our terms in the story of the, the like birth of Jesus, right? Like this is God um, coming down and becoming a man. This is God being born into a human body. This is God um, who could be talked to, who could be uh, touched, who could be, you know, whatever. And, and like, also God who could uh, reasonably, as, as he's being arrested, Peter pulls out a sword and cuts a guy's ear off in the process. Uh, yes, it is a Christmas sermon with an action sequence, just like Die Hard. Um, but he cuts the guy's ear off, and Jesus picks it up and puts it back on. And says, hey, I don't need your help. I could call ten legions of angels to defend me, and I don't need you. Like, like back up and just, you know, trust me. Um, and, and so, like, like, we see this funny contrast where, where he is the God who can do anything. And he is the God that has to be taken seriously, but he's God on our level. And so, um, as we dive into the text today... Uh, we're going to actually, I'm going to give you a little background. Our series so far, we're looking at this idea of, I'm going to just put my glasses down because I put them on and take them off. Uh, we're going to be looking at, um, the next installment in our series, how to, how to greet a king or how to host a king. Um, and the idea behind what we're looking at over and over again is how do we prepare ourselves for Christmas, for celebrating the birth of Christ? Um, this season of Advent really exists as a time where we prepare ourselves in our souls, in our spirits, in our mood, around our homes, in our community for like celebrating Jesus's birthday, right? Like it is a big deal. And, um, and as we prepare, first off, we have to remember that, like, we celebrate. There's so much stress and misery that it's not very celebratory most of the time. But this is a time to celebrate. Um, we talked about how everything in history points, particularly in the Old Testament, all points, and it culminates in the birth of Jesus. So this is a thing that God orchestrated and lined up, and we got to come to it with, like, a great deal of wonder. Because, like, when you really look at it, and I, that's been the great part of preparing this series, is... Pretty regularly, I've stopped and looked at all of the stuff that I'm learning, and I say, wow, God is amazing. Like, wow, this is such a phenomenal story. The way that even after, like, the, the, the Gospels have ended and the book of Acts ends, you look at how history lined up perfectly for that moment and for everything that came after to change the world, and it is astonishing. And so we approach it with wonder. Um, like, like kids on Christmas morning, right? Or like me when I was a little kid, my dad would, or my dad would host Santa Claus in the living room on Christmas Eve to drop off our gifts and we would hear the ho, 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 and we'd come out and the cookies would be gone. Um, whoever ate them, Santa probably, shh, quiet Titus, I don't need a peanut gallery. Um, and then last time we talked about the idea that we prepare ourselves, we prepare our homes, we prepare our lives for this celebration this week we're going to look a little closer to the story of nativity and we're going to look at um how god sort of expected people to meet him on his terms as he came to them on their terms everybody with me this is fun um trust me <laughs> and so the story of nativity is like really the story of god meeting us where we're at we look up at the mountain we think man it's so hard to climb up a mountain 
and I got to do all this work and all this preparation to meet God. But ultimately, God comes down to us because he knows we can't climb up to him. And so he meets us here. Um, but he meets us here with the intent of raising us up. And for those who were there, um, they, they had to meet him on his terms. Like God had lined up history, and so they had to follow his plan. Um, so before we dive, last background bit here. Ancient Jewish marriage practice. We all love weddings. Uh, (laughs) So here's the deal. Ancient Israel, you did not marry for love. You married for arrangement. Uh, Daughters were, children were generally considered to be a part of the household. You, of course, loved them. But they were also labor units. We don't do that now. Farms don't do that. Nothing of the sort. Um, But it was nice to have kids because they could go out and work. If you had daughters, you had the added thing like... Well, pluses or minuses, um, you would arrange a marriage when she was quite young, right? And uh, that marriage would happen, but then you would be paid for the loss of labor. Everybody got that? So if you are the daughter of a farmer and you've been married off and you continue to drive combine, be aware, like you're getting ripped off. Um, But they did this whole arrangement thing. And uh, in this case, Mary is probably about 13 years old. Put that in a scale. 13 years old is young. It's even young then, right? Um, she wouldn't actually be wed properly until she was about 15, um, which was pretty common in the ancient world. But she was probably 13. She was a little kid. Um, and so this story has a lot of weight to it in a very unusual way because of that. Uh, There were two stages of marriage. You would set up the contract, and you were legally married. So at the time of this story, though they were not through the ceremony, though they had not consummated their marriage and all this other stuff, they were married. In the eyes of the law, completely married. Everybody with me? Um, And so uh, that's the first stage. And then you would get married, and there was a whole party and ceremony, and I'm not getting into all that today. And then you were extra married, but you were married the whole time legally. Um, social standards. I'm going to be very careful in how I talk about this. First century Jewish people were very uh, much uh, uh, conservative as it related to women. They were pretty liberal by worldly standards, like by the rest of the world, but like there were some pretty crazy rules. Like a husband, if he was suddenly jealous of his wife and her interaction with another man, could tell her in the presence of two other people, don't go around that guy anymore. And then if she did, but he could not prove that she had cheated on him, he could file for a sort of separation but not quite divorce, right? And there's a whole lot of stuff that comes with that, and we'll get to it in a minute. Um, Because if she went with another man and was alone with him, and something might have happened but they couldn't prove it and all this other stuff, like, like he was allowed to file for divorce. If a woman divorced, she usually moved back in with her family. Got it? And it made it hard to remarry. I cannot emphasize that enough. It made it really hard to remarry. And a lot of times, like, like it meant you were, if you were after a certain age, you were home forever. Um, like that was it. And, and there was no future marriage for you. Uh, Jews were very liberal in this regard, though, because you would get a certificate of divorce, which means you could remarry. In a lot of the world, if you kicked your wife out, she could not remarry at all, ever. And that, you know, 
She still owed you as the wife, like there were obligations and everything else, but you didn't have to take care of her. So this is a little background, crazy marriage stuff. Um, so in terms of the coming of the Messiah, we've talked a lot about prophecy. Mary gets this news from an angel. I've actually been to the place they say this happened. It was the well in town. It is a tiny, it was a tiny little town that was so tiny that for a little while historians argued that it didn't exist. I am not kidding. Um, it was a tiny little town, but at the well where this like took place, there's a church that is there. And it's really cool. Um, but so Mary gets this prophecy or this news, and the news fulfills a bunch of prophecies. In fact, everything around the birth of Jesus fulfills all of these prophecies that took place way beforehand. And so as you read the story, you come across all these crazy little things where you're like, oh, wow, God lined this up. Oh, wow, this is from this other story. And it is it's actually just awe-inspiring. I going to get lost in that, so I'm going to just move on. In the sixth month, by the way, the sixth month probably refers to the fact that, because this picks up where John the Baptist's birth narrative uh, paused. So this is about six months into Elizabeth's pregnancy. Got it? So John the Baptist is six months along in the pregnancy story, like uh, 65-year-old Elizabeth is, is very pregnant, right? In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel, same angel that talked to the other guy, was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, excuse me, to a virgin, betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph, to the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. Now, Joseph, first off, they're married, but they're not married, right? They're not permanently married. Joseph is probably a bit older, and he's of the house of David. That's important. We'll get to it in a minute, but I'm emphasizing it right now, guys. House of David. Got it? So we go on. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, now hold on a second real quick. Again, 13-year-old girl, angel shows up. Right? Like, and I'm guessing that this is a huge understatement. She is very uncomfortable at this point. And the angel says, hey, good news, the Lord is with you. And she's like, oh, what does that mean? You know, sometimes when people say, good news, everybody, the good news might not be great news. Right? Like, it's good news for them. Everybody with me? Um, so good news, everybody. And she says, well, wait a minute. What do you mean by good news? What does this mean? And the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with the Lord and behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son and you will call his name Jesus and he will be great and will be called the son of the most high and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Now, we're going to look at it in a minute, but there is a whole ton of Bible verses just jammed into that announcement. Um, Amongst those announcements, remember we talked about all of these, like, uh, covenants, all these promises God made to his people. They're all coming together in the story of Jesus' birth and the the life of Jesus and his death and his resurrection, they all come together and it all comes to a point right there 
in this, there's a promise God made to David. So, like, he's in a really good spot with David. Things are, like, really awesome. And God says, listen, I'm going to make an agreement with you. And David didn't have to do anything for his part of the agreement. It's kind of neat. It's called, uh, well, I'm going to get into it. Um, God says, here's the deal. I'm going to make... Like, I'm going to make it so that, you know, your line will be on the throne in this place, right? And if they do the things I ask them to do, they'll be blessed. If they don't, I'll punish them. Um, And then he finally says, listen, your descendant, in the singular, will be on the throne forever. So, like, the Jews are waiting for a new king to come that will be a descendant of David, right? And that descendant of David will be king over Israel forever. And that's what they're waiting from the Messiah. They're like, oh, this, this God's promised one who's going to deliver us. We've talked about this a lot like the last few weeks. He is going to be a descendant of David, and he's going to be our king, and he will be the very last king. Which, ironically, was hanging over his head. Because Pilate really didn't want to, like Pilate argued with the Jews trying not to crucify Jesus. And in the end, he hangs up a sign over him saying... Uh, king of the Jews, and he does it to kind of like poke the Jew- Jewish leaders in the eye because he's really ticked off that he had to go through with this. Um, but ultimately, that's what he was. He was the king of the Jews, and he was the king of the Jews who would be in this position. And that's like another huge prophetic thing, but we'd be here all day talking about it. So he says, listen, the Messiah is coming. The promised descendant will be on the throne. It is coming. Does anybody, I don't know, I don't know, uh, my daughter is not 13 yet, and I, 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 so I don't, you know. But do you guys, ladies, do you remember being 13? Hey, guess what? You're about to be pregnant. Is there a worse line to hear at 13? That is a pretty rough one, right? Not only that, you're going to be pregnant. I know you're not technically married yet. You'll be pregnant, and it is going to be the Son of God the promised one who's going to be on the throne in Israel forever. What do you, could you imagine? Like, like seriously, she's worried about taking care of household chores. She's getting water for the day to make bread. And an angel shows up and says, hey, congratulations, you're it. Mary actually spends a great deal of time thinking about this and pondering it. She writes songs about it which is such a 13-year-old girl thing to do. I'm so sorry. (laughs) And Mary said to the angel, hold on a second. How can this be since I am a virgin, right? Which seems like the obvious response. How on earth? And the angel said to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, a child to be born will be called holy, the Son of God. Behold, your relative Elizabeth is in her old age, has conceived a son, and this is the sixth month with her who has been called barren. By the way, the next story is Mary going to Elizabeth's house like many miles away to confirm that Elizabeth's pregnant. She's like, all right, well, let's check out the, the, the bona fide. Let's check the proof on this because, oh, my gosh. Right. Some people say that she went and hid at Elizabeth's house to be pregnant away from home. That is not what happened. She went to confirm. Um, And is in the sixth month 
with her who was called barren, for nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Um, All of this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin will conceive and bear a son, and they will call his name Emmanuel, which means God is with us. Um, This is in reference to something that happened in the Old Testament. It has a double fulfillment. The second fulfillment is Jesus, right? Um, The... She is a virgin. She will have a son. Why a virgin, you might ask? First off, there is nothing in Jewish or pagan tradition before this point that, like, in Jewish tradition that associates the Messiah with a, birth, with a virgin birth. Nothing. This is a brand new idea, right? Um, in the pagan world, there are people who've claimed, like, oh, yeah, virgin birth is all there. It's really not. Um, this is a pretty unusual event in terms of history. Um, So this virgin thing is a big deal. Why a virgin? Well, because of this. Because he is both God completely and man completely. Everybody with me? Him being God makes it possible for him to obey. It makes it possible for him to be perfect. Nobody you know is perfect. If they tell you they're perfect, they're lying. If you believe they're perfect, you're Twitter-pated and lying to yourself. No one is sinless. No one, like, like is perfect. Christ was perfect, and he had to be perfect, but he also had to be a man because he had to go through what we went through. He had to come to our level and be one of us, and he had to be this king on the throne so that he could die for us, and he could take our punishment, and we could be forgiven in his place. And when you really look at how all of the scripture comes together, like, that story of like, oh, well, he'll be punished for, you know, I'll punish him for the sins of, you know, like there's a whole lot of stuff in there where basically God sets up this series of contracts where he says, you know what, I'm going to send my son and he's going to die in the place of his people and his people will be righteous and he will be seen as sin and killed. And so like this virgin thing, it's got to happen because he's got to be perfect, but he has to suffer and die. And like, like this is the plan. And you can see the plan from the very beginning until now if you dig into it. Um, hopefully I'll do a video on it. I've been trying to do it for three weeks, and I have failed miserably because of Christmas, busy, etc. Uh, that is an excuse. So Mary has received this news, and it's all this prophecy piling in. Mary is now pregnant. Now the next problem shows up because people start noticing. Pregnancy tends to be very noticeable, Right? Unless you're like one of those people that most women hate. And, but really, everybody knows. And it's a small town, so everybody knows. Joseph finds out. Now, if I was engaged in my, I, you know, my, like, like I'm in Joseph's spot, I find out that suddenly my wife but not wife is pregnant, but we haven't been together, what's my response? Excuse me? Now, the birth of Jesus took place this way, when his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph. Before they came together, she, found, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. So he looks, he says, yeah, I'm not going to marry her because she is pregnant. She is obviously, like, stuff has happened. I'm guessing that Mary has straight up told him, hey, angel, 
I'm still a virgin. Like then an angel came into this and he's like, yeah, I don't know about that. Now, this line here is huge. And understand, like part of this is to understand Mary's point of view. So from Mary's point of view, what her husband now has the option of doing um, as I understand it, because I've read a little bit, and it doesn't fit the case law exactly, but I, as I understand it, this what is what would have happened. He would take her to Jerusalem because she denies the affair. Nobody saws the affair. You don't have two witnesses to the affair. Got it? So there's no way to beat her in court for a divorce or to file for a divorce. So he has to take her to Jerusalem, accuse her of infidelity or violating this jealousy law, she would be taken by the priest to the city gates. They would strip her down. They would take her hair down, which doesn't sound like that much, but in the ancient world, a woman who came with her hair down and not up, it was the rough equivalent of a scarlet letter A or being called a prostitute or like wearing a sign that said, hey, I'm a prostitute. In the city gates, she would be stripped down. Her hair would be taken down. They would ask her, did you cheat on your husband or not? And if she said, yes, I did, she would receive a different, like, lesser consequence. If she said, I did not, she would have to do this thing called drinking the bitter water, where she would drink this water that proclaimed that if I am lying, God will curse me. And, like, I'm just going to say it. 13-year-old girls are very unsure of themselves now. I suspect this would not have changed very much in thousands of years. Uh, maybe, I don't know. But, like, this would have been utterly humiliating for her. And she's facing this, right? It's called the drinking the bitter water-like thing. And they would be separated. And, like, because he can't prove that she cheated on him apart from being pregnant. Like, he's got no witnesses. He's got no nothing else. Like, because he can't prove she cheated on him, she will then be separated And she can't remarry. She doesn't get a certificate of divorce. She stays in limbo legally and is stuck. She can't remarry. Her whole life is ruined. That is it. So, like, she lives at home for the rest of her life. Every teenage girl in the world looks forward to the day they get to leave. I assume, right? I've never been a teenage girl. I don't identify as one either. And so he resolves to divorce her quietly. This is like the nicest thing Joseph could do, right? He actually says, I will just go ahead and divorce you. Like, we will break the contract. I'll get my money back. I'm sorry, that sounds awful. Uh, But ancient world. um, Because he, at this point, has been dishonored. Everybody knows she cheated on him. And so he is dishonored. He has been lowered in social stature. It would affect his like line of work. It would affect everything. People would look down on him. They would gossip about him. But he says, I'm going to give her this so we can walk away. For her, this is the best possible outcome. For him, this is saying, I will not take my pound of flesh from you. Matthew goes on. But has he considered these things? Behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David... Do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you will call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All of this took place. Oh, nope, sorry, that's the wrong text. Uh, All of this took, took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from his sleep, sleep, he did as the angel 
of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but he knew her not, meaning that they, you know, uh, until she had given birth to a son, and they called his name Jesus. Now, here's why this matters. Because Joseph, we saw earlier, is in the lineage of David. And the promise to Israel through King David was, your descendant will be on the throne forever. But Joseph isn't Jesus' father. But by Jewish law, the moment they got officially married, like without having consummated, but married, married, done the ceremony and everything, that son became Joseph's. Completely, utterly, no question. And so then Jesus is now in the lineage of David. But he's still all God and all man. And so God has lined everything up. Now, real quick, we're going to hit pause here. Oh, actually, I'll read you the prophecy that uh, David recorded one of his, this prophecy in a psalm. This is Psalm 131. The Lord swore to David, it's a, in a couple other places, but I like the psalm better. Uh, the Lord swore to David a sure oath from which he will not turn his back. On one of the sons of your body, I will set on the throne. If your sons keep my covenant and my testimonies that I shall teach them, their sons also forever shall sit on your throne. And so this one son is Jesus. That is it. Jesus is placed on the throne. Jesus is king over Israel forever. He's born into this lineage. And actually what happens is he obeys the rules and then he's punished in our place and we're forgiven in his place, which is the last time the covenants get changed. And again, video, but not right now, uh, before we dive into this last one. All right, married people, hands. Young teenage girls, hands as well. All right, who would really, 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 really love to find out that you were pregnant as a virgin, as a 13-year-old girl, and not married? Anyone? Anyone excited about this? (laughs) I saw that. (laughs) Anyone really excited at the prospect of maybe going to trial and being stripped naked in public and wearing basically what the cultural equivalent of like a scarlet letter A in public so that everybody can mock you and talk trash about you? Anybody excited about this? Anybody excited about your whole life being ruined? Husband, anybody if told, oh, your wife is pregnant, but you've never been with her? Excitement about this? Everybody thinks she cheated on you, and they look down on you for the rest of your life. Anyone? Here's the trick. In this story, what we encounter is God comes to us on our terms. He comes to us in our like life, in our way. He understands the world from our perspective. He saves us from our brokenness and our wickedness. He does all of this stuff. He comes to us on our terms, but God has his own terms. And we have to meet him where he's at. Isn't that crazy? Us as believers, now, I will never, ever have to face this problem. My wife might become miraculously pregnant. I really hope not. Um, but like, like in all likelihood, like none of that was required as a part of obeying God. What I've had to do some crazy other stuff to obey God. And I've had to follow Jesus according to his terms. I couldn't say, oh yeah, I'm going to follow Jesus and I'm all about Jesus, but I'm also going to date other women after I got married. It's a no go, right? 
like, not just because my wife would murder me, but because I'm really afraid of God. I, I am. Like, I, straight up, I am. Um, I love God. I am devoted to God. But I know, like, I receive a lot of mercy. And so I follow and I obey and I'm in relationship with. But I don't steal from God. I don't, like, use God's name to gain, like, fame. I don't use God's name to get people to do what I want, right? I just stand up and talk about what God tells me, like, through his word. That's what I get to do. Um, God does things according to his terms, but he comes to us on our terms. And his terms are always beautiful. They're always amazing. Has anybody in the room ever been turned right instead of left in life and you were really mad, God, why did you do this to me? And now 10 years later or 15 years later, you look back and you're like, oh, wow, this is awesome. I'm really glad it went that way. Hi, honey, because that was us. We both had different plans and God turned us a different way. And Christ has healed us of all of our fighting and craziness and brokenness and our life is better. But it's all about devotion to Christ at that point. What we see in Mary and Joseph that is amazing is they submitted to God's will and they did what he called them to do. Um, over and over again. All right, last thing here. Um, they were also sent to the proper place. Uh, I'm going to do this really quick. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augusta that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was the governor of Syria, and all went to be registered, each in his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, and the city of David, which is called Bethlehem. By the way, the city of David is David's hometown. So Jesus was actually born in David's hometown. And it is not, cannot say this, emphasize this enough, it is not in any way near Nazareth. It is a long, nasty, mountainous, dangerous trip to go from there to there. They crossed the whole country to be born. It would be like being born in D.C. or the suburbs of D.C., but having to come from Loma. Got it? While pregnant. While pregnant. Uh, the trip would have taken many, many days. It would have been dangerous. It would have been very uncomfortable for the super, super pregnant Mary, I, women, I'm sure they had to stop to use the bathroom like every two minutes because they're riding a donkey. There's no smooth line, so she's got to pee constantly. And, and she's pregnant, and people, like, it's dangerous. The whole nine yards, just rough, rough day. But they were sent there because, um, all right, uh, because he was of the house of the lineage of David to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. Now, this was not a holiday inn. Inns in the ancient world were awful. They were glorified tents. Got it? Um, and they weren't even in that nice of a spot. They were in a cave. I've been in that cave. It's really nice now. But back then, it was probably not a very nice cave. I am going to argue, and I've come to believe, that this was probably winter. And even if it wasn't, it was probably in the evening. And it was dark, and it was cold, and she had a baby there. Again, I joke about childbirth. It is just hard. And for her to do this 
would have been a lot. And for Jesus, the king of the universe, to be born in a hole in the ground and to be laid in a feeding trough, to be surrounded by animals. I know it looks so good in the manger, right? Like you got the little Christmas decoration. Does everybody have one of those? There's one behind me. Farmers, real quick, when you walk into the barn that is full of animals because it's really cold out, how nice is the barn? Super not nice, right? (laughs) They are disgusting. They're horrible. This is where the Son of God was born. God lines up everything to make this happen, to have him be born in a humble place. For the virgin birth, so the God and man thing is like straight up like obvious. For the lineage of David, for them having traveled all across the world to give birth in this place, um, far, far away from where their family would have been there to support them and their own beds would have been and everything else. Like, God has lined up everything just to fulfill this prophecy. Um, Now, when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose, and we have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard about this. By the way, Herod was called Herod the Great. He was Herod the Not-So-Great. He was horrible. Um, When Herod the king heard this, he actually murdered all of his sons, uh, except one who he kept in prison, prompting Caesar to say, it is better to be a pig in King Herod's palace than a son. Um, When Herod the king had heard this, he was troubled, and all of Jerusalem with him. Why was Jerusalem troubled? Because Herod killed people a lot. Actually, Herod had an order that when he died, they were to round up a bunch of prominent people in town and execute them publicly because he knew nobody would cry after he died and he wanted people to cry. Like, bad guy. So Herod finds out, um, and he asks the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born And they told him, Bethlehem of Judea, for it is written by the prophet. This is in Micah 5, verse 2. And you, O Bethlehem, and the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For you shall come, or for from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. And again, like this whole crazy thing, got to be born in this place. And God rearranges the entire world because Caesar set this thing. Everybody in the world is moving from place to place. And Jesus is born in Bethlehem. What do we do with all of this? Well, first off, like I I know I included a lot of extraneous information because the more I read about God's plan, the more I am absolutely blown away by how much stuff lined up, how all of history lined up, how the planets aligned, how, I mean, the intricacy of it all is so breathtaking. It is hard to look at the story of the birth of Christ and not be filled with just wonder. And as we approach Christmas, I cannot emphasize it enough. God did all of this because he loves you. You might feel worthless. You might feel hopeless. You might feel like God, I, I quoted this a number of times. I had a young lady who was in drug treatment I was working with. We were having a conversation. She said, God will never forgive me for the things I've done in my life. You don't know how awful I am. And the truth is, God will forgive you for all of that. And he sent his son to die before you did it. And so be filled with wonder. 
and like like overjoyed in this season because we prepare to celebrate that God came to us on our terms. Crawled down in the mud where we were sitting, sat next to us. Recognize that our sin and salvation made it necessary for all this because it's easy to remember Christmas and like Jesus came and everything else, but if you separate it from God did this to buy you out of your brokenness, you lose the most fundamental component, right? God loves you so much that it doesn't matter how broken, how rebellious, how dirty, how filthy, how miserable, how low you get, he will do whatever it takes to draw you close to him. God comes to save us here, but then in the course of our life makes us better. He is like the, anybody ever get a piece of exercise equipment for Christmas? Ladies, did your husband ever buy you a treadmill? No. Why everyone, my wife raised her hand. I bought me a treadmill woman. Um, he is the gift that we receive that doesn't leave us the way we are, but makes us different year after year after year. We become holy. We overcome our, our, our sinful inclinations. We, we learn to know God personally. We learn to offer grace. Our interactions begin to look like what Jesus looks like. I, I, and that is amazing. He is the, the gift that's supposed to make us better that actually does. Um, not the treadmill you give your wife and end up sleeping on the floor uh, or in the garage. He transforms us in preparation for living with him in eternity. It is amazing. But in the process, we have to trust God's plan. Got it? God's plan is hard. God's plan will leave you sad. It will leave you scared. It will leave you worried sometimes. It will leave you hopeless. It sometimes will make you think, God, do you just hate me? The answer is no. But sometimes it means you have to face some ridicule. By the way, if you read about ancient history after Jesus, after the the church became like a real established things, like people said horrible things about Mary. Mary watched her son die. Right? Like, like if you're reading the ancient literature, there's some really nasty things. Mary was maligned heavily for a long time, and that had to be miserable. But Mary trusted. Joseph obeyed. They both went. Sometimes we have to trust. Sometimes we have to obey. Sometimes we have to submit. Actually, we always have to submit, but sometimes we have to submit in ways we don't want to. And ultimately, we have to go where he sends us. I'm going to close us in prayer. I know I'm a little long, but I am just loving the heck out of studying this stuff, and so y'all are stuck with it. Uh, Heavenly Father, I pray that you would fill us with wonder yet again. Lord, as we prepare ourselves for Christmas, as we prepare ourselves for this holiday, as we prepare ourselves to remember and celebrate the birth of Jesus, thank you, thank you, thank you. Help us to be overjoyed. Help us to be like little children filled with wonder at the grace you've given us and at the miracle you performed and at how you organized all of history to come and be one of us. Lord God, as we celebrate this season, help us to bring our hearts into places where we we're ready. Help us to submit where we don't want to in our lives. Help us to trust you when we submit to rules or, or guidance or direction or calling that we don't want to. Help us to be your people. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. Have a good Sunday, folks.